All right, it is Thursday, March 11th, 2021, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Auger, and today we're going to cover UFC 259 pay-per-view buys. An estimate has been revealed. We're going to talk about its accuracy as well as whether or not Israel Adesanya still has the same drawing power now that he's lost to Jan Blachowicz. We're going to talk about the rise of fantasy apps in MMA. Verdict MMA and PFL have reached a deal as well as DraftKings and the UFC reaching a $350 million deal over five years. That's huge ramifications of the sport. We'll talk about that a bit. And then lastly, we're going to spend a bit of time on an AMA with UFC COO Lawrence Epstein. It was very informative, talked a lot about the business side of the UFC and what they're trying to do moving forward. And I've got a bunch of info to share with you guys. So with that being said, look at the timestamps below if you want to jump to one of those three topics right away, and let's go ahead and dive right into it. All right, so first thing to discuss today is UFC 259 pay-per-view buys, according to the Sports Business Journal, were 600,000 domestically in the U.S. and 200,000 internationally, making a total of 800K worldwide. So it wasn't too far off from the estimate I gave on my last episode where I think I pegged it at 750K or so. And makes sense. You had three title fights. You had Adesanya going up for a second belt if he had won, which would have been a big moment for him. And, you know, it, it just seemed like a bigger card. It didn't seem like a Conor McGregor card. It didn't seem like a Ronda Rousey card or even the Masvidal Usman matchup. It didn't seem that big, but it certainly felt like a bigger pay-per-view. And the numbers seemed to, you know, back that up. Now, again, can never truly trust pay-per-view estimates, as I've said many a time here. If you're a long-time listener, you've heard me say that nearly every time we talk about this, but I will continue to say it as much as I can. But Sports Business Journal is a more reliable source than some others, and I do trust them a bit on this. I don't think they're 100% accurate. I don't really think you can be in this day and age, but I think they're probably in the ballpark, or at least near it. I haven't seen anything that they've done that's led me to believe that their numbers are significantly off as some other sources have been in the past. So 800K worldwide, 600,000 domestically. That's a good day. That's better than most UFC pay-per-views. It's not quite, again, that McGregor or Rousey tier, but or Masvidal if we're you know, expected to believe that the UFC 251 pay-per-view is accurate. But it, it's a it's drawing power for sure. And that almost all certainly comes from Adesanya in his quest for two belts. He is a bigger star in the UFC. He's very big over in New Zealand and Australia. He's got the Puma deal. You know, he he is above average by a long shot when it comes to drawing power. But how does his loss to Jan Blahovich affect that moving forward? Well, I think it's hurt him more than a lot of people realize. Right. If you, if you go on, you know, MMA forums or, or Twitter or what have you, you will see a lot of people still very much on the Asanya, you know, belief train that he's still going to be one of the greatest of all time, that he's got the skills to put all this together and, and be a legend in the sport. And I'm not disputing that he, he's extremely skilled. You know, this was a setback for him. Sure. But in terms of his legacy and in terms of his ability, he still definitely has the makings of a hall of famer at this point. And I, I truly believe he's going to continue winning and, and reach that level. But in terms of drawing power, it's a little bit different. It's, it's tough. 
the, the two main ingredients to get a true superstar, and by true superstar, I mean Conor McGregor or Rousey level, and or Masvidal, again, if we believe 251, where he broke out. The two ingredients are basically going on a major undefeated run and having a personality. The only third way around that is if you beat another star and then you kind of get that rub and run with it. That's what I believe happened with Masvidal. I believe that's what's going to happen with, I fully expect if he fights anyone outside of Conor McGregor, he's going to do better than he normally did as a pay-per-view draw. But, you know, Masvidal beat Diaz. That's really when his star took off. Holly Holm beat Rousey. That's really when her star took off. And she's still pulling in very good numbers. That's why she keeps getting title shots. That's why she's in Mountain Dew commercials. She, She's the woman that beat Ronda Rousey, even though her record afterward, I believe, is four and five since, since beating Rousey. She's still a major draw. So if you beat one of those stars, you get that rub. But other than that, it takes being undefeated pretty much and having that personality. Now, Adesanya has a personality, and I've mentioned before, I don't believe it to be the best for mainstream appeal. I, th- I think he can have a personality that works for mainstream appeal, but some of the things he's done and said in the past kind of, you know, rub some people the wrong way. So he's got to kind of make up with it, make up for it by continually winning and by having more moments where he does reach the more mainstream audience and, and gets them to like him. But in in terms of losing this fight, I think really what this does is it caps his ceiling a little bit to similar to John Jones. John Jones is a bona fide draw. He's the other big name outside of McGregor Rousey and all those who we know in the sport who does have some mainstream appeal and is a draw, but isn't at that true superstar level. I think Jones derailed himself when he did the hit and run, right? He had just, he'd been sponsored by Nike. He was on a tear. I think if he doesn't have that hit and run accident and flee the scene and all that stuff, and he keeps going on, on and on and on, I think he becomes one of the biggest stars in the sport, especially if he keeps winning, but he did. And that was a major setback. He was suspended for multiple years. Even when he came back though, right? He still, if if you look at the numbers that we had pre ESPN plus where we had more sources to be verified and those are some, more accurate estimates, he's still pulling in 800K, 700K against Gustafson, 800K against Cormier. Uh, The last pay-per-view we know about before ESPN Plus, where we had those multiple sources, was UFC 235, where he estimated to pull in around 520 to 650K. That's a draw. It's not McGregor. It's not Rousey, but that is a draw, and that's much higher than most champions end up drawing pay-per-view-wise in the UFC. I feel like that's where Adesanya is right now. Can he break out of it? Yes, he still has the opportunity to do that. But really, his biggest chance to become the next McGregor or the next Rousey in the face of the company was for him to be Blahovich. And then I guess there were talks of him going all the way up to heavyweight to try and get a third belt, which would have been crazy and probably would have started that catapult into the superstardom. Or fight John Jones and beat him. If Adesanya beats Blahovich and then beats Jones, whether that's at heavyweight or light heavyweight, I think that solidifies him as a megastar and that really pushes him over the top. We'll talk about the appeal 
of that fight, Jones versus Adesanya, if there's still appeal and fan interest in that in a different video, because I know that's been talked a lot, talked about quite a bit recently. But in terms of what he can do now that he's lost to Blahovich, he he's got to go back to middleweight. He's got to go through contenders, most of which he's already cleared out, which kind of limits his ability to gain those new casual viewers, right? Because the casual viewer, the, the reason why you have to be nearly undefeated in your initial rise or where you really have to knock off somebody with a huge amount of popularity is because a casual viewer may only see you once and you have one shot, one impression to win them over. If Adesanya goes out there and throws some crazy knockout on Blahovich, right? He's throwing those question mark kicks. If one of those lands and just, you know, flatlines Blahovich and it's a highlight reel knockout, I'm sure his stock continues to rise at a great level and it gets him that much closer to being that million plus pay-per-view buy draw. But losing a decision to Blahovich and getting wrestled at the end there, especially, a lot of those one one chance people are not going to tune in again. They're going to say, Adesanya, right? I saw him lose to Blahovich. Doesn't matter. Adesanya can turn around and be just a, a knockout king for his next five fights. They'd be like, yeah, no. It's, I saw, I, what, that guy, right? But he got out-wrestled by Blahovich, 205. He's good. He's just not as good as Blahovich. That's that's what a casual fan's going to say. And I know some of you are looking at me right now like, what are you talking about? Blah, blah, blah. No, I mean, yes, Adesanya is incredible. His talents are, you, you cannot question them. But casual fans, those guys that get roped in by their friends, like, you got to see Adesanya, that don't normally give a damn about the UFC, they're going to say, yeah, I saw that. That's whatever. And I, th- I again, I think the Romero fight already kind of stunted him a little bit because that was, that was a pretty boring fight to casual fans. I had a couple of friends who had heard about Adesanya, don't really watch MMA. We're like, yeah, I got to check this out, watch that. And they're like, yeah, no, not going to do it again. And I think this is kind of the nail in the coffin for Adesanya to reach that true million pay-per-view threshold on his own just by winning and with his personality. I think he now has to beat someone like Jones who already has that star power where, yes, then you can, can get that rub or he's got to do something just so spectacular it sends him into, you know, mainstream prominence. What that is, I don't know, but I honestly think it would probably be outside MMA. Because I truly believe Masvidal, with his amazing flying knee KO of Askren, he got more popular with, with MMA fans and with some semi-casual fans. I don't think he reached the level that he did in popularity until he beat Nate Diaz. And the only reason that happened is because Nate Diaz beat Conor McGregor. It's a cycle. It's what happens. So I I unfortunately think the most we're going to see out of Adesanya is probably now this 800K worldwide range. I don't expect it to go up much. Um, I I would imagine in the initial, the interim, it, it goes down. I would think you have some semi-casual fans who maybe got on the Adesanya hype train, saw him lose, say, yeah, okay, I'm probably done. He's not that good, which is not true, right? I'm not saying, I'm not saying that personally, but there are fans, you know them, fair weather fans in any sport, including mixed martial arts, and they will hop off 
the Adesanya trade at this point. Can he get him back? Sure. He's, he's got an opportunity there, but I mean, look at John Jones, right? He's still been undefeated. He's still gone on to have, you know, his highest pay-per-view that we know was his Daniel Cormier rematch where he landed a sick knockout of Daniel Cormier. First time to finish Daniel Cormier. Next pay-per-view didn't do as much. It's, it's very hard to hit the true crossover superstardom. And I think Adesanya's window on that has shut almost entirely. I don't see an easy way for him to get there now. He'll still draw, you know, at a, his floor is still at least 400K, I'd imagine, maybe 500. Unless he starts losing a lot or puts on some really, you know, Romero-esque fights, I think his floor at this point is pretty much set at 400, 500K. So he's still going to be like Jones and still draw much more than most champions. But he's not going to reach that superstar face of the company level. He might end up being the face of the company if he's the only one competing. That's a possibility as well, right? Jones may end up retiring. Uh, Connor is always a big question mark. And, and outside of those two, there's no one else pulling a number. So he might end up being the face of the company. I mean, there's Masvidal too, but you never know with him. But even if Adesanya is the face of the company, it's not going to be that mega stardom that we've seen with the two or three chosen crossover superstars. I, I can't see it. A big reason for that, again, is there's no one at middleweight or light heavyweight that Adesanya can really get the rub from, right? It, it's John Jones who's moving up to heavyweight. If Adesanya somehow works his way back up to 205, wins that, and then goes up for three, right? If, if Jones is going up to heavyweight and then goes up for a triple belt and goes after jones for the heavyweight title or something yeah there you go but that's really it otherwise he's decimated most of 185 and at 205 he's lost to the champ and even if he were to rematch and win down the line i don't think it would work the same way i mean another example you can look at at this in terms of you know how bad just one loss can affect you is francis and Ganu. i had so many people that don't really watch MMA or were semi, you know, casual fans call me up about Francis's first run and say, Oh, Francis finds Stipe, right? That guy has been knocking people out, you know, had the crazy Alistair Overeem head snapping back knockout. Oh, he's, he's fighting the champ, right? He could be the champ. I was like, yeah, they're fighting UFC 220. Yeah. I had so many people tune into that. And then when he lost me, like, Oh, he's not that good. And Nganu had one, Loss after that, that wasn't great against Derek Lewis, where that was, again, I was at that fight. It was terrible. It was everything that we never expected it to be. But since then, he's been murking people again and looking even more ferocious. And there is a possibility that he goes out there at UFC 260 and he just murks Stipe. But I don't think I'm, I'm going to have the same friends calling me up saying like, oh, and Ghana's fighting again? In fact, I know they won't because they called me this far out of, of the pay-per-view before, probably about a month out. And they said, yeah, I'm all about this. When is this fight? I haven't heard a peep about that. And I don't think I will. And yes, that's anecdotal evidence. We'll see what the actual numbers are. Well, we probably won't because, yeah. But either way, you you get one opportunity to 
make that type of superstar impression on your own. And if you you don't win or you don't have the right personality, it just doesn't happen. And it's not fair and it sucks, but that's how it is. And I really think at this point, Adesanya's chance of, of being a million plus draw is unless all of the numbers go up. I, I think for every champion, right, where UFC viewership in general just continues to rise to a level where it pushes them over it. I, I don't see him bringing in a million pay-per-view buys. I think he's going to be the John Jones, the next John Jones in terms of his drawing power, which is still great. Still, my guess will be at one point or another, the highest draw in the company, because I'm assuming Connor and Masvidal might be done uh, before, and Jones might be done before Izzy hangs him up. But yeah, I, I, that that loss to Blavich was very crucial to his his ceiling. His floor is set. His floor is good, but his ceiling is is now, I think, kind of kind of forever closed. We'll see. Could be wrong. Let me know in the comments if you think I'm right, if you think I'm wrong. I know some of you are like, yes, he's a megastar, all that. And I'm not saying he's not a star because he is He is a, a bigger draw than almost everyone else in the company. But I think he's stuck on that John Jones level. I don't see a way for him to, to reach the last tier of a crossover superstar at this point. All right, the next thing I want to cover is the rise of fantasy apps in MMA. So... Verdict MMA has now partnered with the PFL. It's going to be the official fantasy app of the PFL. If you haven't seen Verdict, it's a pick'em style. You get to bet XP, choose your round. It also shows how dominant a round scoring was based on worldwide scores. So um, to break that down a little bit further, it's it takes everybody's scores on the app and puts it together based on how they scored each round to say, yes, this was, you know, pretty even, or yes, no, round two was widely scored for this person, or round one was widely scored for this person. It's a cool app. It's a it's a great, you know, way to look at fantasy in a different light rather than just the pure who's going to win the fight pick'em style. But this rise of fantasy apps for MMA makes a lot of sense. When you're looking at getting your hardcore, semi-hardcore, or even even casual to an extent, fan base involved more in your sport, things like this get people to care about fights more than they probably did before, right? You may not care about a prelim or even a main card fight where you don't really know the guys if you're a semi-casual and you're like, yeah, I know, let's take this weekend's card, for example. Yeah, I know Leon Edwards, I know Bilal Muhammad. Uh, you know, who's this Danny Gay, Gavin Tucker, who are these people? I, I don't know them. Okay, that's fair. You might not care about watching the fight then. But if you're doing a fantasy competition with your buddies or you just want to, you know, get involved online, and all of a sudden now you're picking who's going to win that fight. And you say, oh, okay, you know, I got to research. I want to get the guy right because you want to be right, right? It, it, it spurs competition. It's a game. And that helps get their fans more involved. And it helps acquire new customers. We'll dive into what Lawrence Epstein said about this because he had some very good quotes and talked about the UFC strategy with DraftKings more because DraftKings and the UFC's deal for $350 million obviously plays into this. They are a sports book, DraftKings, but they also are best known for daily fantasy. And using a fantasy app is a great way to really 
just get new customers zoned in even if they don't like MMA. Let me just repeat that. This is a great way to acquire new customers who don't really care about MMA. Now you might be saying, huh? What are you what are you talking about? But think about it, right? I for one, I watched football. I watched the Super Bowl. I didn't really have a home team for a while. I was kind of all over the place. But you know, I watched football occasionally, but it wasn't like a oh, I gotta watch it thing. I started playing fantasy football. Suddenly, I'm now rooting for certain teams to win because I want my players to score, whatever. And I got pretty into fantasy football for a number of years. I think I, I ended up getting second place in a certain MMA websites, uh, you know, uh, a certain MMA websites competition. I won't reveal which one it is, but they know who it is. I know they're listening. They know I beat them. Should have won the should have won the championship too. Point is, it got me into football. It, it got me watching more football than I ever had before I got into fantasy. If you look at a study done, and I know this is only one study, but it is a study from the Journal of Sports Administration and Supervision. I believe it's related to University of Michigan from John Fortuno. This was done back in September of 2011. And he basically looked at is there a correlation between higher TV ratings of football games and fantasy players? And what he found was that there was a correlation between if over, you know, if, if a player or had a, a game had a lot of players where over 90% of a certain player was starting in that particular game. So let's imagine, you know, this is 2011. Um, trying to think who exactly it would be back then. But let, let's say... For argument's sake here, let's say it's Marshawn Lynch, right? When he's, everybody wanted him as a running back when he was in his prime. He was a monster. It was, yep, got to get Marshawn Lynch. So let's say he's playing in a game. He's obviously going to be starting in over 90% of the fantasy football leagues. He found in that research a statistical correlation that television ratings went up. The same idea applies here. If you get people involved and you get so many people picking a certain person and betting so much on a certain person with XP and, you know, or choosing by round and all this stuff. Hypothetically, more people are going to watch, right? Because again, I might not know who Danny Gay and Gavin Tucker are, but if I'm, you know, very close in a league or I'm going up against my buddy and it's super neck and neck, all of a sudden, I care a ton if it's make or break on Danny Gay and, and Gavin Tucker. It, it's just the nature of humans. We love games. We, we love to compete. This is a way to get people who don't care to be involved. I have run a fantasy league with some of my friends and family. I do it a specific way where it's more of a draft league and you go head to head, all that stuff. And I got people who never watch MMA to start watching MMA. Why? Because of fantasy. When we're in the offseason, they don't watch it all. But you best believe they trash talk and they, you know, root for a bunch of people and they watch the events intently, especially if it comes down to the playoffs or the consolation when a fantasy league is going on. You, it, it makes too much sense in terms of customer acquisition for these apps to have appeared and now hit a maturity where they've got the infrastructure where some 
somebody like the PFL, who again is still in startup mode and trying to get more fans and trying to build that, you know, core fan base to support them says, yes, I want to partner with you. Let's go ahead and do this. Or in the case of DraftKings UFC, a super mature daily fantasy outlet and sports book, UFC can say, yeah, this makes total sense to just pump out daily fantasy, you know, ads for the UFC to get people who are all about betting to now go into combat sports. And we've seen a significant rise in people betting on combat sports over the past several years. So it makes sense. So again, I expect Bellator 100% to end up with some type of fantasy app sponsorship or partnership. I don't know what it'll be exactly, but I would be shocked if in the next year or two you don't hear about it because it it's a great way to go after target customers and the industry is maturing more and more, right? We are past long past the heyday of the 2011-2012s where, you know, everybody was wearing tie out shirts and Buffalo Wild Wings were, you know, packed to the brim because people were watching the, the pay-per-views. Those days are gone. You occasionally get it on a McGregor pay-per-view or a special one, but it's it's nothing like it used to be. So as that happens, promotions have to find new ways to acquire customers and to get people involved. And this is a no-brainer. So expect more of this. In terms of promotion, expect a lot of promotion on the PFL broadcast for Verdict. I would imagine you see a bunch, see it all the time, multiple times during the broadcast. Uh, same with DraftKings, right? They've got that new fancy clock everybody's talking about. You're going to hear them being plugged a million different times. And expect Bellator to pick pick something up soon. And probably one, one championship already has their own kind of fantasy that they've built in. But again, expect every promotion that can to partner up with a fantasy sponsor because it's it's a good way to get people more involved and to acquire people you normally wouldn't get as customers. All right, the last thing I want to cover today was the Lawrence Epstein AMA. So this was a special AMA, I believe, put on by Sportico. Forget the ex- exact sponsor I joined. Uh, I know a couple other business people joined. I saw Jason Cruz in there um, asking questions as well, but a lot of big quotes and takeaways that we should cover. So the big announcement when they did this AMA was it was the same day they announced the DraftKings deal with the UFC. Looks like it's, you know, reported numbers right now are around $100 million in cash and then $250 million in marketing. It's 350 mil total over five years. That much we do know for sure. But it, it was a massive deal. And, you know, Epstein said, and I quote, biggest opportunity we've got to bring in new fans. That's what he said. So what I just talked about with customer acquisition and fantasy apps, again, this right here with a sports book and daily fantasy is a massive opportunity for the UFC to convert fans over and get people who don't watch the sport to start watching it. So again, everything I just kind of talked about Epstein confirmed, but he also brought in a lot of info that I think is going to be very, very interesting to a lot of you. So here are a couple of things that he said. Um, One was every single pay-per-view, they do an extensive survey, which I don't know if you've received one of those surveys I have before where it says, you know, how likely would you be willing to watch a fight if this person was fighting? And where do you watch a fight and all that type of stuff? I've gotten that before when I've ordered a pay-per-view. But he mentioned that fan groups are divvied up into seven segments or so. He said around seven segments. And he said, including hardcore, casual, et cetera. 
So what you're looking at is the UFC confirming that they are looking through not just the hardcore fans and the casual pay-per-view buys that we hear and we talk about all the time, or I talk about all the time. You hear me talk about it endlessly, but seven different segments. So I've covered two. There's five other groupings that they have based on various metrics that they target in different ways. That's a major reveal. That gives you an idea of how data-driven and analytical the promotion is. And I've said this before, right? This is really why they make the matchups they do, why they set up the pay-per-views the way they do. All of that is driven by this data-making decision and analysis where they're looking to maximize their revenue while keeping costs low. If you've got seven different segments of fans, you are you're doing your marketing research. You're really pinpointing in on, okay, what differentiates, you know, the semi-hardcore, and I'm making that up. I'm not sure if that's what one segment is card, but but what differentiates that between a casual? What differentiates that between a hardcore? What differentiates that between one level in between that, which I'm not even sure what you call? Seven, seven segments. They're definitely looking in at, at this in in a highly analytical and data-driven way is what that tells me. So that's a big reveal. And again, when you're thinking the UFC is doing what now, I guarantee the numbers that we're talking about here are a big driving factor of that. Not necessarily the specifics of the survey, but whatever they're getting in terms of their seven segments of customer base. That's a huge thing for them. Some other information that came out. Rethinking of the media strategy in general, right? They are going a completely different direction with media strategy. At least it sounded like based off of the China deal that they just made with uh, Migu Mobile. So again, you had a new partner for broadcast distribution in China with the UFC. And it, it kind of shocked some people. Again, they've been shopping that for a while, ever since uh, you know Weili Zhang became champion, but to say they're rethinking their digital media strategy, I'm sure that yes, it's true for the Chinese market that they're going after and the new emerging markets. But to to say it in a way that Epstein apparently, or at least appeared to say, he made it sound like they're rethinking everything. They're launching a fitness service. They're talking about wearables, so different, you know watches and things you can wear. They're branching out and, and diversifying their revenue. That was a big part of the AMA was, you know, he said, we used to be reliant on pay-per-view buys. That used to be our thing, our, our whole, you know, live and breathe by the pay-per-view buy numbers. Now they've branched out into so many different things and they've they've done revenue versification because you've got their jewelry, jewelry line. You've got their clothes and and what they have through Reebok and what they're going to have through Venom. You have, again, looks like a fitness service that they're going to start launching. You've got the UFC gyms that are all over the US and the world. Not, I mean, most prominent in the US, but they're everywhere. They're, they're worldwide, the UFC gyms are. You've got all these different products and services now outside of just fights and broadcast media deals that what they've done and what they're doing when he says he's rethinking the digital media strategy is they're maturing to a point where they've gone past that startup stage and they now view themselves as a mature brand, 
right? If you are, you know, a, a particular company that's on the up and up and you're trying to reach that next level past the startup, you're usually focused on one product and service. Amazon is maybe the best example of this. They used to just sell books. That used to be their whole thing was books. You come to Amazon for books. That's it. And that's what they focused on while they were growing. Now, they ship everything you could ever imagine. They continue to ship books, right? Their core piece, but they are not relying on it at all. <laughs> it's it's much more about the shipping every every type of product you could imagine, the streaming service with Amazon Prime, They've diversified their revenue. If books, you know, stopped being bought through Amazon today, they're fine. They are so fine. They've become this massive logistics company. And that's what brands do as they mature. When they finally get to a place where whatever got them there, whatever niche or whatever, you know, sole focus got them to high revenue good financial health, continued growth, they start to branch out because they don't want whatever service or product they have to have their company live and die by that, right? Most everything now compared to when Amazon started, there's so much reading online. Books are still around, but I mean, I'm sure the revenue from, from the book segment of Amazon is much, much lower than it used to be. Imagine if they had just stayed in books. Sure, they. I'm sure they would have continued to grow. I'm sure they would have beat out a lot of booksellers like Barnes & Noble and all the other guys. I'm sure that still would have happened. But I doubt they would be the behemoth that they are with Amazon Prime and, you know, Amazon Prime TV and, and movie services, all this stuff. So they wouldn't be what they were today. People wouldn't be talking and saying Amazon like you knew exactly what they were talking about. UFC is trying to do that now. They've hit that point where they've looked at the numbers, they've looked at what they are, and they see, okay, yeah, we are, you know, still first and foremost putting on fights, right? That's still our core business. But now look at everything else we're doing. We're doing gyms. We're doing wearables. We're doing fitness programs. We're branching out. We're building that diversification. Now, I'm not saying that one day we're going to see the UFC and we're not going to see them put on fights. That's not going to happen. That's not the exact same parallel as Amazon. But if they continue to build out new products and services and those products and services work and start to build their own following, right? Think about UFC gym. That's that's a great example. Like Let's say UFC gyms really take off because people just want to do kickboxing classes and want to do some jujitsu. Even if pay-per-view buys fall off a cliff or broadcast media rights deals dip, if their gyms become the new thing that like moms like to do, or I don't know, whatever Orange Theory is, right? All that crap. <laughs> if, if that becomes the next Orange Theory, then you can guarantee the UFC will be okay because they will have diversified in a way that keeps their business afloat regardless of their core products' health. And that's what mature brands do. That's how the UFC views themselves. It's also part of the way, or I'm sorry, part of the reason that you see 
these fighter cuts, I believe. I think now they feel they're in a safe enough place with a brand that they can cut some of these bigger name fighters or people that may end up being some well-known names and let them go to other places because they feel their brand has reached the level where it's synonymous with MMA and with the ability to bring in, you know, people that want to watch MMA. So outside of the revenue diversification, there were a couple other tidbits that Epstein hit on that we make sure we want to cover here as well. 2023 and beyond right now is the target for UFC in Africa. So it looks like for the moment, they are going to focus on the Middle East and Asia. They're not going to try and branch out into Africa until 2023, but it seems to be on the promotions roadmap, which makes sense, right? You've got Kamaru Usman, you've got potentially Francis Ngannou winning if he wins in March 27th and ends up being UFC champion. You've got a lot you could do with UFC Africa. It's definitely a target market and an emerging market that the UFC will want to capitalize, but you don't want to do too much at once. You don't want to fight a three-front war, so to speak, where you're trying to spend a bunch of marketing and build up stars in China, as well as the Middle East, as well as Africa. That can all be tough. And you never know how those things are going to pan out. So if you have all of that marketing cash burn, that could be a rough time. Other things that he mentioned that I thought is important that you guys know about is he did mention that according to him, the Reebok revenue essentially all goes to the fighters. Yes, I, I said that right. According to Epstein in this AMA, let me find the exact quote I wrote. Yes. So when it comes to the Reebok deal, he says, and I quote, all of the revenue essentially goes to the athletes. That's hard to believe based on what we've seen from some fighters complaining about their royalties from various uh, things they put out. Sean O'Malley, I believe, had a very popular shirt that sold out pretty quickly. He talked about not getting that much revenue out of it. We've heard about, you know, cents on the dollar or is, is kind of what some of these UFC fighters are making from the Reebok deal. And we know that the Reebok deal is worth a lot of money. I believe, you know, I, I want to say 80 million if I'm getting that number right wrong, forgive me, but around that range where it, it's kind of hard to believe that all of that with promotional guidelines pay and royalties are going to the fighters. But I can see why he would say that. And obviously Venom is about to take over here in April. So it might be that he was referencing, you know, Venom moving forward is going to end up having the money go to the fighters. And it's it's a smaller deal. Who knows? But uh, that's a tough one for me to to kind of back based on what we've heard from fighters so far. Won't say it's false because I don't know the, the actual financial details, but uh, leaning a little bit on the not so great, not so believable meter. Another thing that Epstein brought up was the UFC Shanghai Combine. So he essentially said that when, you know, Weili Zhang won the belt from Jessica Andrade in China, Obviously, she saw a tremendous amount of growth, became much more of a star, and helped the UFC secure their broadcast deal with Migu Mobile, right? I mean, that's he didn't say that directly, but in so many words, he mentioned that she was a massive part of that. What the UFC Shanghai Combine is, is at the Performance Center, they essentially invited 150 athletes or so whittled them down to around 30 and they're having these athletes 
live and train at the UFC Performance Institute, and they'll be making their debuts into the promotion. You're probably going to see them, a lot of them debut on the Dana White Contender Series Asia that was announced not that long ago with Migu Mobile and all of that that was going on. But that's a huge deal. They've they've set up a combine, they've invited athletes to try out, and then now they're letting those athletes live and train in the Performance Institute, and they're going to get chances at a UFC contract, if not getting an immediate UFC contract and being thrown into promotion. That tells you how badly the UFC wants to be in the Chinese market and wants to capitalize on Chinese, you know, GDP continuing to grow across all industries. And well, GDP, obviously trying to grow Chinese GDP growing and Chinese standards of living growing as well. Because the more purchasing power that the Chinese people have, the more they're able to buy things such as UFC Fight Pass or UFC tickets or what have you. It becomes pay-per-views. It becomes a whole whole new market that they can get massive revenue from. The fact they've set up this combine is, is just about as big a sign as ever as we are investing deeply in the Chinese market. Have you heard of any other country or any region where they've done this before? I guess you've got the ultimate fighter technically, right? But even then, that was much more about building a reality show as a, you know, way to get people involved in MMA and the UFC at the time. Wasn't really about, you know, making sure they captured one market segment. This, again, is just further investment and further proof the UFC wants to be the top dog in China. And I think at this point, they're pretty much going to be unchallenged because I don't see any other promotion getting the type of talent and building the type of infrastructure that they have, that the UFC has, that can be, you know, really challenged. I don't see a promotion investing that much. There's too much of a revenue difference and it would cost too much to compete with the UFC at this point. I think they're well on their way to dominating that market. So circling back here to the apparel that I mentioned, right? With the Reebok deal and essentially all of the money going to fighters. One last thing I wanted to note of this is Epstein did say here that the ESPN gave UFC feedback on their product being kind of junky, he said, not clean. And that you couldn't differentiate between the UFC and, you know, Bellator and something like this. This was before the ESPN deal. It was one of the biggest driving factors for the Reebok deal. That is huge. That quote right there is important because that's essentially saying, yeah, we got feedback from a partner that we really wanted to work with, but wasn't working with at the time that our product wasn't clean. It was kind of junky and all this. Well, it wasn't what it needed to be. Couldn't tell the difference. And so they went out and they did the Reebok deal to make it look uniform and to appease them. And lo and behold, Guess what happens later, a couple of years later? Oh, the UFC has a massive media rights deal with ESPN, someone that they naturally should be paired with and who I'm sure Dana was not exaggerating when he said was a massive deal. Now, I'm sure, you know, when you're looking at the deal itself, there were other driving factors as well. But but that type of feedback to know that the Reebok deal really came about so that the UFC could get 
more media rights or get a better media rights deal rather is huge because I truly believe that that's one of the biggest driving factors for why the Reback deal came about. It wasn't about, hey, let's limit fighters and get squeeze more money out of them. It, it was, how do we appease these big broadcast networks we want to work with so that they all buy our media rights for millions of dollars? Oh, it hurts our fighters as a side effect? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, we don't care about that. We'll give them promotional pay. It'll be fine. No, it, but that, that makes all the sense in the world. And it's a, it's a way of looking at the Reebok deal that not a lot of people have done, I think. I think a lot of people saw the number next to the Reebok deal and they say, yeah, that, that makes sense. The UFC would want that money and then, oh, they're going to withhold it from the fighters. And it's true, you know, that the UFC wants a cut of that money for sure. But even if what Epstein was saying when I talked earlier about, about the revenue all going to the fighters, which again, kind of hard to believe, um, it makes sense if it helped them build a better product and a more palpable product for giant broadcast companies. If that's what people like Fox and ESPN and other big media companies wanted them to do, yeah, that's an investment that you you put the money into. Because look at where they're at now. Look at how much money they're getting from their media rights. And now pay-per-views, guaranteed. They don't have to worry about, you know, Conor McGregor not performing or Ronda Rousey not performing or breaking a million pay-per-view buys. They now have that revenue diversification. And they can now start building out other products and services to even further diversify where revenue's coming in. Makes all the sense in the world. So important to note, that apparently ESPN feedback was a big part of the UFC going out and getting the Reebok deal. All right, guys, that wraps up another episode of the Fight Business Podcast. Thank you so much for watching and listening. If you're watching on YouTube, if you give me a like, a subscribe, or the bell notification. If you haven't done that already, I'd really appreciate it. If you're listening on Anchor, Apple Podcast, Podcast Addict, that's the new one that's popping up there, I see, or Overcast, Spotify, what have you, I really appreciate it. Love you guys listening to that as well. Let me know your thoughts and comments on this this stuff I'm covering today too. Are you surprised by Lawrence Epstein comments? Do you think I'm right about the fantasy in terms of, you know, people who don't care about MMA might get into it through fantasy? I'm really curious to hear you guys' thoughts on that. If you play any fantasy apps, let me know. Drop it either in the comments of the YouTube or hit me up on Twitter. Let me know if you're doing that as well because love to know what you guys are, are using for fantasy if you're doing fantasy at all. And until next time, Make sure that you get some money. See you next week, guys.